Alrighty, to all of our automotive enthusiast friends, no matter where you live in the entire galaxy, you uh, have once again elected to hit that play button on your musical device and start yet another... Another blithesome episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. <laughs> another blithesome yes. episode. Huh, all right. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Kevin Osti, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal Clark, who is rather blithesome today. What, well, what is that? Even as a matter of fact, I am, because it's uh, an old 17th century old English word, meaning to have a cheerful disposition. Nice. Yeah. It's perfect. All right. Well, my... Uh, my blithesomeness is hopefully escalating as we uh, go through our show here today. <laughs> Every time. Right on. All right. Well, uh, for those who are frequent listeners to our fun little podcast, uh, V8 Radio, uh, you know that we do an automotive trivia contest in which uh, we let the listeners kind of guess along. We throw the questions out of the beginning and then uh, have our answers at the end of the show. Uh, Mike, it's just you and I today. Uh, because I figured we have a little bit of catching up to do. We've had some really great guests recently, uh, but between the two of us this time. So did you uh, prepare a trivia question? Of course, sir. I did prepare a trivia question, and uh, let's have it. Um, so, Kevin, I finally got off my lazy and procrastinating keister and watched Ford versus Ferrari the other day. Oh, right on. For the first time, yeah. Great movie. I highly recommend it. <laughs> for yeah, the, how about that? The one other person who hasn't seen it out there, maybe. Well, I wasn't lying, was it? What's that? I wasn't lying, was no, it, when I recommended it? No, not at all. No. Not at all. It was fantastic. Uh, so my question derives um, from that movie, and uh, or from Le Mans in general. Um, I noticed that... Um, you know, they, they did the Le Mans start when they started the races that were depicted in the movie. But at one point, at some point, they stopped doing the Le Mans start. Um, and they no longer run to their cars, get in, hop in, and, and, and take off for the race. So my question to you, this is a two-parter, is mm. uh, when did the rule change occur to stop the Le Mans start? And who was credited? for instigating that and making that happen. Who's credited for... Um, for for, for guess, ending the Le Mans start? Well, for bringing it to the... It, it was stopped because it was a safety, a safety hazard. Um, mm -hmm. Who brought it to the attention of race officials um, to, uh, I, I guess, who was the genesis of the rule change? Okay. Kind of a weirdly worded question. I apologize. So I'll give you quite a bit of latitude on this one. Uh, yeah. Well, welcome, friends, to a <laughs> blithe episode <laughs> of the <Radio. laughs> Yeah. Can we just start over because uh, I don't know if I did this question. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it was obviously somebody who, ra I'm guessing, a racer is, is my thought because they're the ones who, you know, had that safety uh, concern firsthand, although so did team owners and, and spectators mm -hmm. and everybody else. Uh, and it was obviously after 66, 7, 8, 9. So I'm going to say it was in the early 70s uh, because cars became harder and harder to get into with safety equipment and suits and helmets, and you sat deeper into the cars and everything. So I think that, that only made them you know, more unsafe to start outside the vehicle. So I'm going to say 1973 is the time. And 
as far as who who got behind that as far as starting the movement or starting the change I said driver early 70s Lamont I I will uh, since it's such a dirtbag question I will give it to you that it, it was a driver Oh okay well that narrows it down Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um you know, my uh, my 70s knowledge of Le Mans drivers is nowhere near as robust as the 60s, primarily because of the interest I've had in that film and Shelby and sure. and all that. So uh, I'm just going to say it was, uh, I'm going to say it was Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti. And I, I'm going to say right now, I know this is wrong because it's not my final answer. Okay. Let me because, uh, backspace I'm pretty that sure out of there. I would have. I'm pretty sure I would have heard that story from Andretti if, if that was the case. Whoever it was, you would think would be like. By the way, did I ever yeah. tell you the time when I changed the entire racing history <laughs> of Le Mans? <laughs> you know, that's, seems like kind of a big deal. If you interviewed that person, you would have definitely got that out of him. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So that yeah. rules out, you know, a bunch of people, right? Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, a lot of those racers were doing more indie stuff. Dan Gurney, for example, and man, uh, the F1 guys were doing F1. I don't, I don't know if we had a lot of crossover between Formula One and Formula Five Thousand and Le Mans. I mean, I guess so. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll even give you a little more help. No, it's on working. This one. <laughs> he was the more. I stammer. He was a winner of Le Mans. Not only. He was a multi-time winner of Le Mans. And it was a he. And it was a he. <laughs> I'm reaching here, friends. Work with me. Uh, multi-time win- You know, I don't, I don't have all the multi-time winners uh-huh. of Le Mans memorized. That's just uh, not how it goes with this guy. So I- I'm going to say... Man, I think A.J. Foyt only ran it that one time and there's all kinds of European racers who you know won it multiple times that I'm not that familiar with because their circles were more of open wheel that kind of dipped into it uh-huh. and my background is more of you know the NASCAR and right. American road race guys that went over sure. there sure yeah um Just for fun, I'm going to just stay with Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti. All right. Mega apologies to our listener. (laughs) (laughs) Used to me doing all the hemming and hawing, not you. I know. It's been a couple of them now. It's kind of a role reversal here. (laughs) It sure is. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. That was fun uh, for you, I guess. Well, it didn't suck. <laughs> well, there you go. So in, in return, I will offer you yet another very rare opportunity here on VA Radio. Oh, wow. Um, the opportunity for you to choose your own adventure. Oh, right. So I have prepared two questions, as a matter of fact, and uh, I will let you pick which one via the flip of this uh, adult beverage bottle cap that I have okay. here in my hand, because I don't have any coins in my pocket, and... That's the truth. So, if the label side is up, it will be question A. If it's down, it's question B. So, okay. I'm going to flip this, and you call it up or down. 
Okay. Down. It is label side down. As you see that. I see that. As opposed to that. Oh. And uh, that means you get question B. All right. Excellent. So that means um, I got less homework to do next time as well. Okay, race fans, you familiar with uh, the aerodynamics of cars that have been uh, raced for years and street cars? Uh, certain cars have things called NACA ducts. Oh, right. Yeah. A, a NACA duct is a. Uh, it's kind of a subterranean air inlet. It's a. It's an intake that doesn't protrude beyond the surface of the vehicle. It uh, it sinks below and it relies on a low pressure area on the car's surface to capture air or release hot air. So the question is, what does NACA stand for? Mm. That's, that, that is a satisfying. great question, Kevin. A great question <laughs> indeed. One that I will mm. happily answer um, after a requisite amount of hemming and hawing. Uh, um, uh, you're, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, uh, well, I think they had their genesis on, uh, on aircraft, and I believe it's called... Uh, the NACA duct after the predecessor of NASA, uh, which we all know is the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Um, but NACA was the... Oh, gosh, I don't know what the C is. Um <laughs> Yeah, you just keep there prancing there, big boy. I'm just, your, you know, having a nice knowledge. day. I'm just, uh, what am I doing? What's our word? Our, our, our overselling adjective today is... Oh, blithesome. Yeah, we so are... I'm just being blithesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, National Aeronautics... And gosh darn it. Um, National Aeronautics and gosh darn it. <laughs> and gosh darn it. Doesn't um, spell the same, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, ah, gosh. Okay. I'm going to just, just let this one crash and burn. Uh, National Aircraft Association, AC Aircraft. National. Gosh. Oh, I hate myself right now. Air craft. There you go. NACA. Yeah. And that spells NACA. NACA. How nice. about that? Right now. That's your final answer? Yeah, that's my final answer. Okay. Duly noted. Yes, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the listener's glad that that's out of the way. Yeah. So, so, so am I. It wasn't as bad as yours, man. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, right now. Again, I'm sorry for that. I know it, I come up with some whoppers once in a while, but uh, I usually this have is, pretty good ones for you. This is how we grow. Exactly. It's all good. So, uh, seeing that it's just us today, what is the, uh, or is there any latest on the GTO project? I know um, we, uh, we're still kind of in quarantine here, so. Yeah, a little bit. I, uh, I ordered a carburetor kit, um, cause I'm going to yeah. run my quadrajet. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, when everything's back together. And I got a good quality kit, and I rebuilt my my carburetor. Um, that was a lot of fun. That was actually it, it was almost a spiritual thing because it was just because I hadn't worked on anything in so in so long uh, with my hands, and um, especially on my car. And it was it felt really good to get that thing apart and look at get every part cleaned up and uh, making sure everything is there and putting the new parts in and getting it all together and just having it ready to go. So that well, it felt really really good. That's cool. Now is uh, was this the carb that was on the car or one you had or it was one that came with it. Um, when I got it from my dad, he had put it on there at one point, but didn't like how it ran. Uh, then he got a different, another one, another Quadrajet, and didn't like how it ran. So <laughs> then he got a an Edelbrock uh, 600 CFM uh, mm-hmm. four barrel, and that's what was on the car the last time it ran. And I didn't want to use it again. I wanted mm-hmm. to go back with a Quadrajet. I just like those carburetors; they run great if they're set up properly, and you know how you to tune to them. So see for yourself what your dad didn't like. Yeah, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I made some adjustments. I think it'll be okay. And if it's not, I I know what I what I'll need to do to to correct anything that needs to, that may go wrong. So I'm is all right. The, uh, is it the correct part number for the car era? Or? No. Well, it's uh, there's two carburetors. One is a '68 uh, Quadrajet, and the other is a '71. Mm. And I rebuilt the '71. Um, but it's for. A manual car. This car's an automatic. I, I don't know exactly what the difference would be. Maybe maybe jetting. Maybe something else. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that's that's what uh, that's what I had with it, and I'm glad I did have it with it because I liked my my first GTO. I had a Quadrajet, and it ran phenomenally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a great running car. So quick, so fast, so powerful. So, yeah, uh, well, they are great uh, carburetors. You know, the, the biggest problem with them, I think, is that the materials that are used to, to construct those things just eventually wear out. True. And, and some of this stuff requires kind of extensive work to fix them. So how far did you go on your rebuild? Well, I just, uh, like I said, I blew it all apart. I didn't do any bushings. I didn't bush the throttle shafts or anything like that. Uh, I replaced the accelerator pump, the power valve, um, the spring, uh, little check valve where the accelerator pump is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and new so gaskets. Do so. you think uh, this one required any of the bushing stuff? So essentially, what happens is the the throttle shafts uh, that that control the butterfly valves, if you will, mm-hmm. the little air doors. Uh, they're a hardened steel shaft, but they protrude through this cast pot metal housing mm-hmm. and over time just the action of those pivoting and opening and closing over over all the years the holes get enlarged around mm-hmm. the shaft and that becomes a vacuum leak and that means more air is getting in than than the correct metering of fuel correct. so you get some problems but you can usually tell you know if they're loose around there yeah they they felt pretty good i mean they weren't they weren't super i mean they weren't very loose there's a a teensy bit of play in there but teensy i mean nothing it didn't feel too crazy so but like i said if it does run poorly um i can get a throttle shaft uh bushing kit and just do it mm-hmm. and, um, and not worry about it but i didn't go that far at this time that can also be a little bit 
a little bit risky of a job to do. It, it can. Um, but some of these kits, they have a self-guiding drill bit that doesn't allow you to go off center of, of the throttle shaft, which is nice. And I watched some YouTube yeah. videos on somebody who did it as well. And it seems it's straightforward. Definitely. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting the butterflies lined up properly when you're all, when you put everything back together again and um, making sure everything closes properly and seals off properly. That's the big thing. I think. What's the trick on, so the, the butterflies are screwed to that shaft. Right. And those screws were never intended to come out because if they do, they fall down inside the engine and cause right. bad days. Bad juju. Non-blithe situation. A very non-blithe <laughs> situation at hand. <laughs> so what do you stake those screws back in or what? Do you know how that works? No, uh, they just use like red Loctite. Wow. And never have heard of an issue. Guys have done it for a zillion years. Like I just use the Loctite and it's been perfect. It's n- I've never had a problem. I mean, I believe that red Loctite serious stuff. Mm-hmm. It is also temperature dependent. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's one of the ways you release red Loctite is you heat it up. But I think you got to like, you're talking probably 300 degrees, maybe. I see. And if you have a 300 degree problem in your fuel system, that's the least of your issues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the red Loctite coming because <laughs> your car is on fire. So exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. So, uh, you know, some of the other things that you got to watch out for on those quadjet rebuilds, uh, the squareness of the throttle base and right. the, uh, the the top plate. Mm-hmm. Did you check all that stuff? Is it looking good? I did. I, I mean, I don't have a precision straight edge, but I have some, some fairly straight uh, uh, items Pencils. that I use. I put across there and it seemed pretty, seemed pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. like I said, if, if it, if it's, if it sucks, then, you know, I'll blow it apart and have it done you know, a little more extensively. Well, it doesn't sound like it sucks, though. I mean, it sounds like you did a pretty nice job. It sounds like you had a good one to start with. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That's so half we'll the see. battle. Is- we'll see. But that's uh, that's the long and short. I haven't really, I haven't been to my buddy Randy's house at all, obviously, since since the quarantine. I really can't do much right now anyway, even if I could go, get over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, like I said, I'm just waiting on heads. As soon as I get the heads bolted on, I can measure for push rods. And then, um, and then once I have push rods, then I can put everything together. Mm-hmm. So I've just been trying to go through a catalog, figuring out what little items I don't have, and getting a lot of little little things that uh, that can be a stumbling block when you when you're trying to get everything together. So, yep, I'm I'm really close. I think I'm ninety five percent there. Where did you end up getting your uh, quadjet rebuild parts from? A uh, guy named Cliff Ruggles. From Cliff's High Performance, uh, who's been rebuilding carbs, quadrajets for years and years and years. So. Yeah, that's cool because that's half the battle too. If chances are, if you go to your local parts store and they get you a quadjet rebuild kit, it's most likely been sitting for a long time. And and I've been victim of this myself, where you go to put the accelerator pump in, and you know the biggest thing you're trying to fix on a on a quadjet rebuild is a throttle stumble generally mm-hmm. and i had one that i did on my riv where like the fourth drive the new accelerator pump just shredded oh wow just because it had been dried out and hard sitting in the shelf so long oh i see once i put it back into motion it uh it just peeled Yeesh. and the funny thing was the fix on that one was a uh an accelerator pump that i had from a quadjet rebuild kit that i had opened in the early 90s. So Holy I replaced cow. it with like a 25-year-old 
repair part that was made of stuff before they make them out of what they make them today. Oh, sure. <laughs> so oh, wow. It wasn't like leather, but it was some kind of rubber that was like pre-ethanol fuel and everything, but it lived. It did okay. Perfect. I think yeah. this one that I have uh, was made out of vi- Viton, yep. that material, and it has an inner spring in it to help, help hold the umbrella shape. Yep. Was um, it blue? What's that? Was it blue? No, it was gray. Gray, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it sure seems that it's, it feels like it seals nice. When you actuate the throttle, you can hear the air pushing out of the of the jets from the carburetor. So Perfect. It's, yeah, it's, it seems to be sealing nicely, so I think it'll... At least get a good pump shot out of it when it gets when it gets put in service. Anyway. Yeah, right on, right on. So, and you know the other things that are aggravating are the uh, where the fuel line connection goes into the fuel filter housing. Yeah. You know, a lot of time that's stripped. Yeah, luckily I'm in good shape. I put a new little inner fil- filter in there as well, and uh, I put the the threaded insert on there, mm-hmm. and it tightened up nicely. The threads are in nice shape, so it's pretty happy Did about you... that too. Um, did you happen to think about that Fram check valve filter? No. I think I told you about that. Yeah, I think a couple you years did. Ago. There's a Fram filter that's got a little flapper valve on one side that prevents the fuel from leaking out the front of the carburetor. Oh, yeah, you did say something about that, but no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't get that. Gosh darn it! I got one here. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get it to you. Oh, right on. I remember I bought a couple of them, and then I took the quadrajet off the car, so I've, I've got a couple extras. It's neat. It just has a little thing on the side, you know. So, And, and speaking of that, the other problem that quadrajets have is they tend to leak out those those plugs in the bottom. Yeah. Did you do anything to repair that? or No. No. <laughs> right on. Well, you're about to repeat your father's history. <laughs> I probably am. <laughs> oh, boy. Good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he said it was load up quite a bit and, and just kind of run rough if you let it idle for, for a while. So I'm like, well, who knows, Pop. So You could probably still do that, right? That I don't think that requires complete disassembly, does it? Um, well, the, flip it upside um, down and, and replace the those. secondary, secondary uh, wells, it doesn't. But the primaries, it, it, it does. does. Yeah. Well, you could take the bottom plate off without destroying the gas because it's never been wet. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And that trick is you put some epoxy down inside these plugs. Mm-hmm. There was like a piece of lead shot in mm-hmm. there originally, right? It looks yeah. like a cannonball almost. That they got they just kind of jammed in these these holes at the bottom of this plate, and that was supposed to be a plug for a fuel bowl. And over time, those I don't know if those lead balls just kind of deteriorate or they they expand and contract too much over time. Yeah, maybe it's a different rate than the aluminum plate that they're sitting on and. You know, perhaps they crack a little, a little surface area, and then all of a sudden the fuel leaks out when you park the car overnight. Right, and it's aggravating. Well, it looks like somebody had addressed that in the past because it did. It did have like some kind of epoxy cover on it on the hmm. primary okay, as well okay. as the secondary. So, hopefully, that's still holding holding strong, and uh, we'll see. We'll yeah, we'll, right we'll find out when everything comes together. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the fix. Yeah. Well, you touched on something that. Uh, that I've been thinking about. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked before, we had our guest Clarence on a couple episodes ago and talking about power tour and, you know, hopefully people will be able to get out and enjoy their cars again soon. And, you know, it seems like all the car events are getting pushed back into September and October right now. Yeah. August, end of August, September, October. So those are going to be really super busy months. 
And there's a couple of messages. One is that, you know, now is the time, again, to do kind of like what you're doing, you know, take care of those projects mm -hmm. because uh, you're not going to want to have your car done when you have these opportunities. I I'm predicting, you know, the, the weekend weeknight cruise nights, you know, are going to be just super jammed and everybody's going to want to go out and go nuts. Mm -hmm. So in a case like yours where you've had the engine out of your car for a long time and you did some other things, some underhood detailing and, and, you know, now your carburetor and you got to finish building the motor. Uh, there's a good exercise that we use in our shop and the, the term, this could be an adjective for the show one day, okay. uh, but the term I use is mentalize. And we've talked about this before. Yes. You, 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 it's a, you know, mentally visualize stuff. And, and in your case, one way to prevent those little hangups from getting you at the last minute is to mentalize the process of, Saturday morning, car's done, and you know you're going to go take it for a drive, and really start at the very beginning, right? So you're you're going to go out to your garage. What do you need to do? You need to. You have your car key. Hopefully, right? <laughs> I mean we got to go basic here. Do you have an extra set? Do you have two sets for the GTO? I don't. There you go. This is something you can do now. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right? Whoops. <laughs> yeah, because I went for years with one set of keys in the Galaxy. We drove that thing all over the country. And oh, I just boy. look back and think of how how irresponsible is that to be in a different state, you know, sometimes on a time frame. Uh -huh. And I, I was, you know, one dropped key away from having an Disaster. expensive afternoon. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this, this process makes you think about all that stuff. So, okay, you got your key. Uh, and the second set is hanging on the hook with your, you know, wife's keys or something in case you get stuck somewhere and lose it. But then what happens next? You hit the garage door because you, you got a power garage door, right? Yes. Do you have an extra opener just for the GTO? No. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's funny because I used to think, well, you know, you just transfer one to the other, you know, cause the, you don't drive the GTO every day and you right. never did. However, um, just this weekend, I found myself in a situation where I was driving my 70 Buick and I, I didn't have the opener. We only have two of them and one's in each of the daily drivers. Mm -hmm. And it was pouring down rain and I was going to come back into the garage and I had to get out and run around the house and unlock the man door and walk through uh, and push whiz. the button. So the fix there is that go grab the one out of your daily driver and just jump on eBay and you'll find a, an extra one, probably pretty cheap. Yeah, but, it's a uh, good idea. Could it's be a great idea. Was, uh, you know. But I, I'll tell you what, I do have an extra, oh, a third uh, for the GTO was uh, an iPass transponder. So mm. just for that car. Because I wow, have that's... had it where I've been on the expressway and realized, holy cow, I didn't grab my iPass from you know my daily driver and put it in here. So I did get one just for that car. So it stays in there. There you go. And that's uh, for you. For people who do not live in the People's Republic of Illinois, yeah. that is the uh, toll road transponder so that you can contribute to all of the political slush funds uh, merely by driving without yes. exiting the comfort of your own vehicle. <laughs> You're a good comrade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so we end up, uh, we got your keys, got the, the iPass transponder, we get in the car, uh, we know we, we hit the accelerator a couple times and it's going to light right off because of our... Primo quadruped rebuild, mm -hmm. uh, and then you turn the key, 
And, oh, is our battery topped up? Do we have a tender on that thing? Um, well, I don't have a battery in it now, but I do have a battery tender. Okay, so you got half the battery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's another one because when we build cars at, at V8 Speed and Resto, we put the pigtail on on all of our customer cars generally for the, uh, um, it's like a trailer plug, so you can just right. plug that tender in without opening the hood. Oh, right on. And it makes it easier. And, you know, I thought, I don't really need the tender, you know, because my own car, I've been driving it basically on the weekends. But last week I got burned because uh, I put a new registration card in the glove box and I slammed the glove box and there's a glove box light on this thing. Uh-huh. And it did not turn off. Uh-oh. The, the glove box door did not seat all the way. Oh, no. And it was daylight out, so I couldn't see that little light, right? Right. And uh, the next week I go to have my nice day and turn the key and it was dead as a doornail. Uh-oh. And I didn't know why. That was the problem. So I, I, I jump-started it and I, I blamed the parts store battery because I don't have a good battery. I've got a mm-hmm. just an off-the-shelf thing. I should have an Odyssey battery in this thing. But... Uh, <laughs> I go drive and have my nice day, but, but I'm suspicious now. It's like, do you, do you yeah. not shut it off, you know, because it's going to potentially die and not restart. And mm-hmm. I, I know I've talked to you about this in the past when I've been out on a, a lunch cruise somewhere and I was kind of afraid to shut the thing off. Yeah. But it restarted. I made it home. Everything is fine. And later that night, my neighbors and I were social distancing in our driveway, mm-hmm. sitting around and, and Kelly had made a fire and a an old wash tub and we're having a nice time of it. It's nice. dark out and my lights are off inside my garage, but the big door's open. And I looked at the car and I could see a little glow. Mm, gotcha. I discovered the damn glove box light was on. So I was very happy to discover my power draw. It was just a mystery why the battery was dead. But Was it a, just a, was the switch bad or was it just out of place? No, it's the latch. So oh. The latch for the glove box is it. It's kind of loose in the hole. Oh, I see. And so it's one it of those things you got to slam it three times for it to stay. So I, I lubed up the the latch mechanism, and there's a little bit of a science to closing it. You got to kind of push it closed and and over center it a little bit, you know, and then it'll it'll click and and then you're then you're there. It is your car now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Imprinted upon the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? You turn the key, it starts. You're good to go, right? You um, throw the thing in reverse, and you hit the lawnmower. No, you move that out of the way. You uh, mm-hmm. back the thing out, and uh, the the little maintenance stuff is all taken care of. You got good tire pressure and all that stuff. Uh, if it's a GM '60s car, which it is, um, your rearview mirror is loose. It is loose. Yes, because <laughs> they all are. <laughs> Same with the uh, the sun visors, but those don't reveal themselves until a minute or two of driving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, it's like you. It's like you. You're in my head, man. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I know. I've, I'm new to all this stuff. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. You're just sharing your new experiences. <laughs> yes, and the problem with the rearview mirrors in a lot of these GM cars is that it's like a like a cast aluminum mount and then it's like a fork shape and the screw sandwiches the thing around the mirror base but over time from adjusting it and and from tightening that screw they don't really stay tight 
So one thing we've learned is to put a little nylon washer in that. Oh. And that adds a little girth to that interconnect mm-hmm. and allows you to torque it down. So I'll tell you what, fixing that is such a nice thing. It's mm. so simple, but oh man, does it make it nice. Well, uh, talk. speaking of that, uh, little nice fixes that really make a big difference. When uh, I had my 66 Le Mans, the turn signal stock was all worn out and loosey-goosey and just felt like you were rolling through a bowl of oatmeal every time you would try to turn, and mm-hmm. it finally broke. And um, I was lucky enough, I was able to get a genuine GM part for it from the parts store still, because uh, this was 19, 1989, and mm-hmm. somehow they still had some new old stock stuff there for me. And I'll tell you what, man, <laughs> I replaced that turn signal uh, mechanism. It felt like I had a brand new car again. Oh, it was yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I was so yeah. happy to make a turn. Oh, I got to make a turn. Let's hit that turn signal. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like click. Yeah, exactly. And it canceled so nicely. You could hear the little click, click, click as you're turning the wheel. Yeah. And it pops back. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> i know right yeah but it is it, that's it really, really sweet. is you know and that, that's one of the things when i first look at a car when people are like oh you know it's a you know sixty thousand mile car or something and mm-hmm. the, the difference between a 60 and a 160 or a 360 is that you know you move that switch a little bit yep and you can feel it right away you know and and some of them actually had the uh um the turn the lane change where you pull it just a little bit and oh, it would start right. to flash before clicking it all the way. Yes. That was a, an, an intentional thing. And, you know, if that works too, it's like, oh, yeah, this is Oh, a good man. One. I got to have this car. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's similar and really nice on my uh, 70 Riv is the tilt wheel. Mm. I think they call it the tilt wheel fork or, or comb or something. And it's the, the multiple detent positions oh, of the sure. wheel. Yeah. And people ruin these because before they get out of the car, they just pull the tilt lever towards them and the wheel springs up. Springs up, yeah. And it drags across all those little stops, mm-hmm. little gates, if you will. And then they, they don't have a, a sharp edge on them anymore. And then it, the steering wheel is always a little bit yeah. loose. It's all sloppy and, now. And this one, I noticed the first day, you know, you grab the wheel and then you pull the lever and then slide it up and down. And it's like click, click, click. Oh, uh, yes. Perfect. And uh, there's a steering wheel or a steering column rebuilder not far from us, Fitz's steering columns, and they uh, they rebuild these things. And they were telling me that uh, those pieces are not remade, and they are getting very hard to find that are not screwed up. Um, oh, really? Yeah, Uh-oh. 60s and 70s cars. So be nice to your tilt wheel if you have an original one. You can certainly put a tilt column in from some, you know, a modern one. But right. If you got an old one, they still work. They're they're really nice. Yeah, that is nice. My GTO doesn't have a tilt column, but I would love to put one in. Yeah, it makes a world of difference. Totally. Uh, and another thing we mentioned is that uh, that sun visor, and, and that's a tricky one because it's not as easy to put a bushing or a, a, a thing up in there so mm-hmm. that you can tighten those up again. Um, some companies sell new plastic inserts, but we've got limited success on those. Is that right? So, yeah. Those are a little bit trickier. So uh, I know one time I did an experiment. I think I just wrapped some Teflon tape around the shaft and then tightened it back up. And that was nice because it stayed up. 
mm-hmm. but it didn't really allow you to flip it down and then back up and down and up and down. You know, oh, I couldn't see. Really, couldn't really use it that much. You could keep it out of the way. But mm-hmm. and, and there's another trick, and that is if you do get a garage door opener, don't clip it on the sun visor at the end closest to your forehead. Move it all the way to the side where you can clip it to the side so it's got less leverage oh, of the weight of the sun visor, of the, uh, you know, the remote pulling down on the sun visor. I got gotcha. you. So, mm-hmm. Good tips. Good tips. Yeah, right, right. Very nice. <laughs> For those who are still awake, those are great tips. <laughs> We're speaking in such minutia today. It's unbelievable. Tiny little carburetor parts and little bushings and stuff. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. So, you know, now you're going down the road, you're enjoying the car, the mirrors are all tight and all that stuff, and uh, hopefully you've figured out whatever your brake situation is, because I know you're kind of oh, yeah. super excited with the brake performance. Yeah, I got to figure that out. That's that's a, it's abysmal. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the gauges work. Do you, do you have exterior or uh, uh, additional gauges on that car? Yes. Yeah, there's a... A gauge trio, you know, uh, mm-hmm. oil pressure, water temperature, and volts, mm-hmm. and they all, all that works. What uh, do you know? What brand those are? Just out of curiosity. I think, I think they're Stuart Warner. Oh, cool. I think were they in the car a long time? Or? What's that? Yeah, the, what? well, they were in there when my dad had it. I oh, think he put them in. Warners. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that's cool. One of the things that. Uh, I had talked to you last weekend. I took my car out for a cruise, and it was 85 or 86 degrees out, and it was doing just fine. And the torture test was the half-mile-long drive-through line at the burger place on black, hot asphalt. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, this car has no temp gauge. It's got a, it's got a hot light. Mm-hmm. And if the hot light comes on, obviously it's getting hot, and there's another light which I forgot what it even says, but it flashes and it's a cylinder head temperature light. Mm-hmm. So you got coolant temp and you got head temp also in this car. And if that cylinder head temp light comes on, it's warping. I mean, it's like you got a, you got yeah, a temperature problem. That's a problem. Yeah. And in this case, the hot light came on, but the car did not act at all like it was hot. It wasn't detonating. It wasn't steaming and hissing and mm-hmm. things weren't popping under the hood, you know, like high temperature stuff. And I was a little bit concerned because sometimes, you know, I've been burned before where it's like car got hot, you shut it off and then you go to restart it and it doesn't want to crank over because everything's so hot and the solenoid's hot and it's sticky and all that stuff. So I strategically idle around and found myself a nice comfortable spot under a shade tree to where if this thing did not restart, I had access for a jump and, you know, uh, but luckily, it uh, I shut it off and it, it fired right up. So, um, and again, it didn't feel that hot just physically. So, uh, in our shop, uh, Tyler had just done some maintenance on the car. He did a, a whole bunch of fixes on things, including an intake manifold gasket. And I just think it had a, a bubble in the cooling system somewhere. Yeah, that's what it sounded like when we were talking about yeah, it. Yeah, because it, it wasn't enough to really cause overheating. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Brought it home and um, added a bottle of water wetter to it and uh, topped off the cooling system and um, cycled it, heat cycled a few times. It's fine. So that's all. That's perfect to go. 
So that seemed to be the uh, the fix there. And um, I do have to hand it to uh, to Tyler at our shop. He took care of a whole bunch of things. Uh, rebuilt the front suspension bushings. So the upper control arm bushings, the lower. This one has a single lower arm with a, a reaction rod, a strut rod. Oh, right. Put new bushings in that and uh, sway bar bushings and end links and then got it aligned. The tie rods and, bo- and ball joints were fine. They didn't, they didn't need anything. Cool. But it is... That car is so just right right now. It's crazy. Feels good, right? It feels great. The only thing it needs, uh, one of the wheels is out of balance because it's bent because uh-huh. they're basically junkyard mags on it, chrome Buick road wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of on the set, on the hunt for another set of those or, or, or something else maybe. But uh, So it has a little imbalance right around 70 miles an hour, but it goes away at about 74 and it just sings, man. That's nice. It's got new shocks all the way around, and and um, you know, again, a few few bushings, and and uh, Tyler put new brake shoes on it all the way around. Put some axle bearings in the back, repacked the front bearings. You know, just did a bunch of maintenance, um, steering belt, and a few things. Cool. And it is uh, it is so nice. And you know, recently I, I was telling you that I had found another one of these cars. And yeah. it was a, uh, a blue 70, but it had a full white interior and it ran and drove. It wasn't anything, you know, perfect, but the guy wanted three grand for this car, which is not a lot of money considering it was a pretty decent car. It had some rust, but the plan would have been to recreate the exact car that I used to have, which was a red 70 with a white interior. Mm. buckets console and and this car would have been a donor you know it could have been fixed and and driven but for me it would have been a donor Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing was looking at the list of all the stuff had this car had so it had the cornering lights in the front wow which are when you turn the turn signal on they light up like a half headlight power around the corner it had cruise it had uh, of course the tilt wheel power windows Power door locks, power mm-hmm. trunk release, AC, uh, a speed alert buzzer in the dash, uh, white buckets, console floor shift, power driver bucket, which wow. I had in my other one too, which is getting pretty hard to find. And then it had a 342 Posi rear end in it. Man. Because it was a, a real GS car. And it had a, piece, a couple of pieces of trim that I need for mine and, you know, just just a whole bunch of good stuff. Yeah. And I really was debating, you know, if I, if I should get this thing and, and the, the car lives in a different state and I'm thinking, okay, well I'd have to go there and haul it back and all, all that right. jazz. So I told the guy, eh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on this. And then he sweetened the pot and said, he's got family that lives near me and said he would deliver it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, it's hard to say no. It was, it was, but so here's where I landed, right? Yeah. So I was talking with a couple of guys in the shop, and, and they're like, what would you do? And the white interior was pretty nice, but it probably needed a redo. Okay. Uh, you know, so reupholster everything. And the headliner, you can't really salvage, so you're going to have to put a new headliner in the car and then uh, okay. a white one. And then all the rest of the pieces would have had to have been, you know, probably re-dyed or... or thoroughly scrubbed or restuffed or whatever. Mm-hmm. The console was pretty nice, except the, the plated parts were kind of worn through. Um, 
and then like the the rear end you're at the mercy of whoever owned it if it was true safe you know and 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 alive basically because those things they're not like a uh, a Ford nine inch or a GM ten bolt or a twelve bolt where you can easily rebuild them. This right. is a weird rear end. It's a nine and three eighths Buick. That that repair parts are are pretty much non existent. So oh boy. you can put bearings in them and seals, but that's about it. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I could have a big party and you know gut the one and do all this other stuff and put it all back together. But it was on one of those little weekend drives that I started to realize that, so my car has a 307 rear end, mm-hmm. and it's not posy. Right. But it goes down the highway, I don't know, at 2,400, 2,500 RPM, 2,800, something like that. And if I put a 342 posy in it, yes, it would be quicker. Sure. But I would probably have to put an overdrive in it. Yes. Because these big Buicks don't like to spin at thirty two hundred all day yeah. long or three grand, and it would suck gas and everything else. Mm-hmm. And the saving grace is that this is a four fifty five Buick rated at you know over five hundred foot pounds of torque from the factory, and mine's a little worn out, but it you know it doesn't care that it's got that three hundred seven rear end in it. It still accelerates. Respectively. So it moves out nicely, huh? So I thought, yeah, maybe I don't need to go through all that. And then the other part was that the the bucket seat console interior looks killer, but I've been really spoiled by this bench. Is that right? And the bench in this car looks like buckets because it's got the, the seat backs are the same as the bucket seats. Okay. They have individual buckets with the plastic thing on the back and they both flip forward okay. just like the buckets do. And then it's got a huge armrest in the middle that folds down. So when you just look at the car, it's like, oh, yeah, cool, you got buckets. Well, you don't. You know, the bench is only the bottom part. Is it a, a full bench or is it a split bench? No, it's a full bench. Okay. But really the base is the only thing that's bench, and then you got sure. your individual bucket backs. So it's kind of a sport bench, I guess, would be okay. a good way to describe it. That's what we're going to call it. If right now, it's got a sport bench. <laughs> it's got a sport bench. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that armrest, it is just so comfortable, you know? And mm-hmm. the, the, the flip side is the, the, the factory console on the floor puts the floor down or the, you know, where your arm would go yeah. another seven or eight inches lower. You mm. know, you can't lean on that right. floor console. That's true. You can't. So, you know, I started to think, you know, I, so what, what would I be doing here? I'd be making the car less comfortable to drive. I'd have to find another gear because it would, it would drive me out of my mind. So I'd have to figure out an overdrive. And I don't, that's an X-frame car. So I don't know if a transmission is going to fit that easily. You know, we've talked about this before. So then I kind of thought, you know what, that, that blue car, it's a little bit too nice to, to just part out and, you know. It has a lot of options on it. Oh yeah. It had just about everything. Yeah. And, and, uh, so the cruise I can add to mine. I, I think I actually have a power window rig uh, for it in a box upstairs, so I can okay. add those. And it, it was air conditioning, and mine's non-air, so eventually it'll get that. But I thought maybe I'll just let somebody else buy that thing and enjoy it as a complete car. And then here I am with this one, and it's already done. I don't have to do any of that stuff, and it turns out I actually kind of dig it. So. All right. Well, I I. I... I think I was pushing you to get that riv when you showed it to me. Yep. But I like the decision that you came down to and the rationale you used to to not buy it. 
makes makes perfect sense when you explain it. Well, I had to come to some realizations, you know, uh -huh. of like, what do you really want with this thing? Uh -huh. And and of course, I wanted to recapture my old car. But I remember driving that thing on the highway, you know, three hours to school and back, or you know, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, you're looking for a cardboard box, or you're balling up a sweater or something to make a an armrest. Oh yeah. You know, because it just wasn't that comfortable. And yes, the power bucket seat was pretty cool because it gave you a little adjustability that I don't have in this bench. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll try and find a, a power bench seat base for it. And a then power I'll sport bench. Bag. There you go. The electro sport bench. <laughs> <laughs> Options that never were but should have been on the mm -hmm. next V8 radio. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a trivia question. What was this called? It is the electro sport bench, but not. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I don't know um, if there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's going to buy that car and enjoy it, but uh, uh, hopefully somebody does because they're, they're going to get a pretty good deal. It's a nice-looking car. Well, it, it, it was, and it, and it wasn't because, to me, that one had... It was it was uh, kind of like I don't even know what color blue it was almost like a Le Mans blue yeah with a, a white top and the the belt line moldings and all that stuff mm -hmm. it looks like somebody's wearing a white belt and you know a leisure suit basically <laughs> it was basically a cousin Eddie color scheme <laughs> and, and I was Perfect. attracted to these cars because they had. Mine and this one that I have now have no vinyl top and none of the crazy moldings on the side and the side skirts okay. and all that stuff. So, but you know, it, it didn't look terrible. It just wasn't, didn't turn my crank, you know. And I, I sure, I see. I okay. The guys at work are like, yeah, hey, you know, you could have bought it and parted out all that stuff and made, you know, three times your money. It's like, well, I probably could have, but it's a lot of work. It was, I think it was kind of maybe doing that car a disservice to it. It's still all there and true. Somebody could, yeah, and it, it ran and drove. And everything, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, I mean, there's something to be said for, even if the car has some wear and tear on it, it's it's all it's all together, it's all there, it's running and driving. Unless it's just, you know, the frame was rotted out or something detrimental happened to it, you should probably let these cars live and, and you know, do what they're meant to do. And, again, you know, if it was, if there, if, if it was clapped out and just beyond help, then, yeah, part it out. Right. Different story. Mm -hmm. So tune in next time if the guy didn't sell it and I end up with it. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the maxi van Kevin buys as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's always that. <laughs> you had to bring that up because I haven't run that search in a while. But we'll well, get there. I know what you'll be doing after the show. Yeah, thank you so much. You betcha. I'm here to help. Yeah, yeah, I'm here yeah, to help. Yeah. So, uh, along those lines, um, I did want to do a quick uh, listener shout-out. Right on. We have a gentleman named uh, Cody Monroe. Yes, sir. Who recently left us kind of a nice, uh, a nice letter. Cody says, uh, I was never a podcast type of guy, but recently due to a change in positions at work, this is all I can do besides stare at the machine I'm running. So, luck and by the way, if he's, staring, if he's running a machine, you probably should be staring at it. Probably should, yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know what kind of machine he runs. Right. Cody, uh, keep an eye on the machine. It's probably part of the OSHA guidelines. 
I would, you know, or the manual. Yeah. Uh, but he says he's lucky he ran across us after listening to a couple of random hot rods slash three rods type podcasts. Uh, once I found y'all's, I've been binge listening. I love the humor, the guests, and the chemistry between you two guys. Love the trivia and how you all make us wait to the end. And he listens to uh, to us on iTunes. And thanks for a great new-to-me podcast experience. Right on. He's posting some pics of his frame-off Resto 66442. It's a third-generation car. Been working on it four and a half years, 95% of the time by myself. Uh, P.S. Kelly's voice is a lot prettier than y'all's. Yeah. Truer (laughs) words have never been spoken. Yes, the truth. (laughs) And the picture he sent was really cool. It was a uh, a good-looking car. Um, I like those... uh, those 66442s. Those yeah, are, for sure. Those are really clean cars. If it's a real 442, that's got that interesting tachometer, too, on the on the dash. It's like a little pod off to the side. It's cool looking. Oh, Hope right on. Got that. So, Cody, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate uh, you checking us out. We, we made you actually wait to the end of the show to hear your shout-out. So it was like a double tease on the right. uh, How about that? <laughs> trivia question and of the listener shout-out. So. Thank you. We appreciate it. Good stuff. Good stuff. I like reading stuff like that, so appreciate that. Oh, it's much better than, hey, you suck. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it is a bit better. <laughs> but we're, we're pretty lucky. We, don't, we really don't get those. We, uh, we get people who say something nice or don't say anything at all, I guess, and that's, uh, that's pretty cool, too. Golden so rule right there. I like I it. I appreciate that, yeah. All right, man, you ready to reveal these uh, trivia questions so our friend uh, Cody Monroe doesn't go out of his mind here? All right, let's do this. All right, Cody, Um, I asked Kevin, uh, what year did did the Le Mans start end at Le Mans and who was uh, credited for uh, enacting, well, for the genesis of the rule change? Yeah, wrong and and wrong are my two answers. Kevin (laughs) said, I hear you grumbling. Kevin said uh, 1973, and it was Mario Andretti. The correct answer is uh, it was 1970 when Ah. the rule change happened, and it was a driver by the name of Jackie Ix who uh, did that. Sure, Jackie Ix. Jackie Ix was on the 1969 Ford GT40 team that won Le Mans. Nice. Yeah, and so what, what happened was apparently he had lost a teammate in a crash uh, earlier that year. And he was kind of wanted trying to get something changed to make, um, make things safer. And he saw the Le Mans start as being very dangerous because when the drivers would run to their car, they would just jump in, start it and go. And they weren't buckling up. Right. And, you know, in that same race, he, um, a, a driver crashed and died. In in the, in that '69 Le Mans start, he walked to his car. When everyone ran, he got in, he buckled in, he started dead last, and he still ended up winning the race. Nice. And the race officials took notice and they made the rule change for 1970. Well, there you go. They proved that it wasn't necessary to exactly. have the chaos. Yeah. And that was really just for show, anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Right on. Yeah, so I, got I thought that was pretty interesting. Wrong. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to burn Kevin's mind with that one. It was interesting. Thank you. All right, so you, my friend, I asked you, uh, uh, NACA ducts, those yeah. uh, flush-mounted air intake ducts or heat extractors, mm-hmm. are named after NACA. And what is NACA? 
So you said it was uh, uh, pre-NASA, which is the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, Correct. and you said it was from the National Aircraft Association. Oh, dang it. <laughs> when you say it, it makes me sound dumb. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, uh, you're right. When I say it, it makes me sound dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give this one to you because it was truly from the organization that predated NASA. Yeah. Um, and it was actually the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. Gosh darn it. But I think that was named in like 1912. Oh, is that right? So it was, it was an airplane thing, you know, wasn't yeah. about space yet. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's good. So, I mean, you knew what it was. It yeah, was just, I just uh, didn't know what it stood for. Right. Even though I, Which I is what your question was asking. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> So you got it wrong, man. but that's okay. Oh, man. <laughs> good times, good times. Yeah. Great question, though. Those NACA ducks are pretty cool, pretty cool things. Yeah, yeah, uh, they look cool. Yeah. It was just one of them things where I was just wondering, what the heck does NACA stand for? Yeah, dig it. So now we go. know. Now, now we know. Now, now we know. And now you know, Cody. That's it. Cody Monroe, now you know. Uh-huh. Could be a new segment. Now you know <laughs> now with you Cody know. Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is perfect. Yeah, we need another guest. <laughs> yeah. It's true. When I was in college on the radio, there was a uh, segment my buddy and I used to do called News to Me. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Love it! Because <laughs> we didn't really know what the actual news was, so, you know. And that's news to me. <laughs> right on. Uh, right. Oh, well, perfect. listen, uh, this was fun. Uh, yeah, very, this was good. Uh, good to catch up. Good to catch up on, on the stuff and uh, talk minutiae, you know, tiny car details yeah. here on the, well, on the big show. <laughs> that's what counts. The, de- the devil's in the details, so you got to pay attention to them. For sure, for sure. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening, uh, Cody and... Somebody else. Somebody else. Maybe Trevor. <laughs> Actually, kudos to all those who listen, because we do get a lot of good positive feedback, and we appreciate it. And uh, as always, you can find us on a variety of different uh, uh, podcast sources. Uh, you know, on our website at v8radio.com and also our Facebook page, there's, a, there's actually a page where you can click on all the different links. How about that? Uh, and find your favorite podcast uh, server. And uh, I will let out a little secret that uh, a lot of people will, will follow us on the Facebook page and, and we announce when our next episode is going to come out. But if you subscribe to one of the podcast aggregators like uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeart or uh, Podchaser or any of those guys, you generally get the show the night before. How about that? Yeah, a little inside tip there. <laughs> nice. So if you really can't wait, you know, just... Click the subscribe button and you'll get a little bit earlier. So, All right, man. You got anything else or uh, you're as mentally tapped out as I am today? No, man. Uh, <laughs> no, it was a good show. Um, I, I'm glad that we were able to get caught up uh, a bit on uh, what, what our projects are doing. And I know you've uh, you got a lot more done in your galaxy as well that we can maybe hit on on the next show. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and keep it rolling. Jones and for a road trip. That's all I can tell you. Oh, yeah, man. Shoot, you and me both. It's been yeah. years since I've been able to drive this GTO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like Cody. For, what, what did he say? Four and a half years? 
pretty much what I'm the time frame I'm working on too. That's it. Well, you know the takeaway there. Yep. Stare at your machine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for uh, Mike Cubal Clark, I'm Kevin Oste, and thanks for listening to uh, this latest. Widesome episode. Widesome episode of V8 Radio. We will talk to you next time and uh, keep the shiny side under 100. Talk to you soon on V8 Radio.